Well, if you brought a Bible, you can open it to the book of John. We have one more sermon in this series. However, today we will look at the final I Am statement in uh, John chapter 15. So we'll be looking at John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17, and that is on page 901 of your blue uh, pew Bible. Or, yeah, so we can call these pews. Um, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Beginning in chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you, so that you will love one another. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that you would graciously give us your spirit to open our eyes and our ears, excuse me, that you would open our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not, that you would soften our hearts, such as good soil, so that as a seed goes into the good soil and produces a fruit, that we too would as well and leave here changed people. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the topic of abide, what it means to abide in Christ and and why we might abide in Christ. And what I want to suggest this morning is that that abide, to abide, which means to to remain or to be present in, to stay, um, what I want to suggest to us this morning, uh, because perhaps 
abiding, that language is not really something you traffic in. Um, I know for me, like, the last remembrance of the word abide is from the movie The Big Lebowski, where the dude abides. Um, that's not an endorsement of that movie. But we don't traffic in this language, however we are a people who do abide. And I want to suggest this morning that we actually abide in what we find beauty in. Thank you so much. We abide in what we find beauty in. Think about a vacation that you might go to, uh, to, a, to, a, to. It's a beautiful place. Maybe you like to go to the beach. Maybe you like to go to the mountains. Maybe you just like to go to a nice restaurant and enjoy the beauties and the smells of all that is in that place. What happens when you get there? You don't want to leave. You want to stay there. right? You, you want to be in the place or the presence of that beauty. Well, the Bible believes this about us because it knows us. And what the Bible wants for you is to see Jesus as that ultimate beauty. Such that, that we would see him and we'd see his grace and we'd see his mercy to us uh, poured out ultimately on the cross for us. And we'd say, I, I just want to be there. I want to be in his presence. I want to remain in his presence. Um, I want to know him. I want to abide in him. This is what this means, and this is what we're going to look at this morning as we think about uh, the topic or the word abiding. And there's three things that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the object of our abiding from this text. We're going to look at the nature of abiding, and then we're going to look at the purpose of abiding. So there's the object of our abiding, there's the nature of abiding, and then there's the purpose of our abiding. And what I, what I think we'll find is that, that it is true that, that what we find beautiful, that's where our heart is drawn. And my prayer for us, as, as even as we look at this, this text, as, as a church for sure, is that Jesus would continue to, be, uh, to become more beautiful and believable to us as his followers. Um, one last thing about this before we get started. The, the context of this, and I'll say this over and over again, is disciples. So this is not uh, primarily a text about salvation, right? This is a text about discipleship. This is a text about following Jesus after we believe, okay? So that is important as we move through this uh, topic of abiding as we see here. Um, so hopefully that will become more clear as we, as we move on. So let's look at this first one, right, the object of abiding for the disciples. And as we've been doing in this series, I want to look at the I am statement first, and then we'll pull out from there. So what is it that Jesus says here in the statement? What is it that he means when he says that I am in verse 1, the true vine. And what Jesus is saying here to his disciples, and what they would hear, is that he is the true Israel. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you this morning. Um, it, it's totally fine if it doesn't. But we need to unpack that a little bit as we begin to understand exactly what it is Jesus is saying about being uh, the vine, the true vine. Because for Jesus to say that he is the true vine actually presupposes, right, another vine. If I say that this person is the real deal, all right, like, like the, the, the true athlete on the field, the true, you know, performer on stage or expert in their field, right, when we say things like that, we presuppose other athletes, other musicians or artists or other experts, etc. 
when Jesus says that he is the true vine, this presupposes another vine. There's history here. And what is that other vine? It is Israel. And I want to be careful here because I'm not trying to pin Jesus against Israel here. I'm not trying to pin those two against each other. That's not the point. The point is mission. The point is mission. And who will actually complete God's mission? Who will be the true Israel to the world? Again, with most of these I am statements, as we have seen, that Jesus gives us, they are rooted, what, in the Old Testament. Such is the case for this one. All throughout the Old Testament, Israel is, is, is likened to a vine. And I'll look at Psalm 80 here, verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. And we could go on, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, all of them, right? All of them refer in some way or another to Israel being the vine. And as the vine, God's mission would run through Israel, a mission or plan that sought the renewal and the redemption of all things after the fall in the garden where sin entered God's good creation. Right? Israel was always the vehicle. And this is what it means for them to be the vine. But according to Jeremiah, this vine grew wild. It became unfaithful. It abandoned the terms of the mission, as Isaiah 49 writes, a mission which included bringing, what, salvation to the Gentiles, which is everybody else who's not ethnically Jewish in this day and age. <clears throat> and so as we leave the New Testament, in judgment, the vine has been cut down. It has been cut down by God because of Israel's unfaithfulness. And, and just to, to remind us this morning, right, this would look like the Assyrians coming in and taking out the northern kingdom of Israel and, and conquering them in 722 BC, and then finally coming, the, the, the Babylonians coming in and taking out the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, conquering them in 586 BC. Again, to be clear, this would have been any of us. Right? This is not an Israel issue. This is a human heart issue. It, it points to the, the, the inability for us to be faithful apart from Jesus. And so as we look at the story, as we come into the book of John, we're asking, and this is what the disciples were asking, as, as this, where's this vine that God promised? And, and, and you can kind of enter that space with them a little bit wondering, what is God going to do here? Right, so does God just cut down this vine, as it were, and forget his promises of redemption? No. Enter Isaiah 11, verse 1. Cue Christmas, right? There shall come forth, what? A shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now, who is Jesse? This sounds like somebody just threw in their cousin or something. Jesse is the father of David. And who is David? David, this is, this is King David. This is one of the high watermarks of Israel. And God's promises throughout the Old Testament were going to run through David, right? Who ran through Abraham, where those promises began. Big story context this morning. 
<clears throat> but those promises are going to run through Abraham. And what, what, what Isaiah is promising here is that though the vine would be cut down, there would be a shoot, there would be a branch. And who is that branch? It is Jesus. It is the true vine, as he says. And as the true vine, Jesus will be what? Israel for the world when Israel couldn't. Jesus will be the one through whom God's mission will be accomplished. This is what he is saying in this I am statement when he says, I am the true vine. It is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. It is, it is everything that God has said he was going to do, when it was going to happen, who it was going to come through. But more importantly, he now, he is that vehicle uh, that will accomplish God's mission. This is what he's leaving his disciples with. Okay, you might remember from last week when Jamie talked uh, from John 14, all of this is the last gathering he's having with his disciples. And in the next 24 hours, Jesus will go to the cross. So these are the final leavings uh, for his disciples. And this is what he is leaving him with, that I am the true vine, right? I am the one whom, whom God's mission will run through. And because this is going to his disciples, it is important to understand uh, that in context of everything else, because this is about one message to believers, to those who would say, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is where we get our verse then, our command in verse 4, as Jesus speaks to them about who he is, that because this is true, then in verse 4 he says, abide in me. Abide in me. And again, abide means to remain in or to continue in the presence of. Right? He's going away. What he's told his disciples, they don't get that. They're not really sure what that means. They want to follow him wherever he goes. Right? They've had the benefit of physically following him. Now he's going away and he's preparing them for that change. And, his, and in preparing them for that change, his command to them is abide in me. Continue to be in my presence. And so first, this, is, this passage, right, is not about salvation. It is about life after believing or discipleship. And what Jesus is saying to them is, after I leave as the true vine, I must be the object of your abiding. Not the law. Not, not, not being Jewish. It is fixating your gaze on me at all times. And Jesus is sending a helper for this, right? He's sending the Holy Spirit to do and accomplish this. That's, a, that's another sermon for another day. But this is what he's giving his people. Abide in me. I, I'm here now. I'm going away. I am not dying. I am living forever. This relationship is not ending. Continue on in my presence. Abide in me. Be the, may I be the object of your abiding. Because as the true vine... I am, as Jesus says, the only true source of life for you. And we've seen that throughout the other statements. The bread of life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection. As the true vine, I'm the only true source of life for you. Without me, as Jesus has said in other I am statements, there is no life. Therefore, you must remain in me. And the reason to do this is because he is the true vine. But the ability to do this, and it can't be missed in this first point, it's because he is already abiding in us. And friends, there's the grace right there. There's the beauty, if you will, for why we would abide. Abide in me and I in you. Jesus promises his commitment to us. 
even before we even know who he is. Right? For those who believe in him, what he is saying is that I will never leave you. For those he gives the gift of faith, as Paul talks about, he's saying, I will never leave you. His grace is always the engine of our abiding, our following him as believers, which is why from the start, this text is about discipleship. It's how we go forward in the Christian life after we believe. It's about the life of a disciple who is already in Christ. And that life is never Jesus helps those who help themselves. It's not that. That's not the gospel, right? It's not I'll promise to be with you if you hold up your end of the bargain. Rather, it's a life that says I'm committed to you as a faithful spouse or friendship. You be committed to me. Remain in me, the true vine, the object of your abiding. Do this because I am in you always. This is the first point, that Jesus is the true vine, the one through whom God's mission of redemption now runs, right? The one who abides in us as the hero of that mission, right? That he be the object of our abiding as his followers. Well, what does that actually look like? And this gets to the second point, the nature of abiding. If we look back at verses 4 to 5, and look at those with me really quickly. It says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are uh, the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he, is the, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If we stay with this image here, right, of vine and branches, we can point out at least two things that help us understand what it means or what it looks like to actually abide. All right, so first, this image of vine and branch implies connection or union. As a vine, right, as a branch is attached to that vine. Just as that is the case, so the disciples then of Jesus are connected and belong to him. And as I said earlier, we call this our union with Christ, which happens by faith. And so to press the idea further, Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples here, assumes a oneness with his followers. It is the language of marriage, which is why the image of bride and groom, right, we see that all throughout Scripture. Vine and branch implies connection. Abide in me and I in you as a branch is to the vine. This is the first thing we note from this image. The second thing we note from this image is dependence, Right? Just as a branch is dependent upon that vine for life, so the disciples or those who would follow Jesus are dependent upon Jesus for those things as well. This is why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing at the end of verse 5. And this is referring to the ability to bear fruit as a disciple, which has in view, right, the fullness of life and vitality that comes from the vine. Just real quick, I know you're probably asking, what, what does this mean by fruit and we're going to talk about fruit in the last point, but the point is, is there isn't really this sort of like, is it talking about the fruits of the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians? Is it talking about the whole, the wholeness of life that is the Christian? And it's more the latter. So if you're hung up on that, just know that people aren't really decided about this, but in general, it's the full, it's just the fullness of, of a follower of Jesus's life uh, connected to the vine, okay? So I thought I'd press that point because I could tell you were thinking about it. The same, though, as we look at, uh, as we come back to this text, as we look at what it means to be connected and to depend on that vine as the branch, this is how we produce fruit, and the same is true of Jesus' disciples. 
apart from Jesus, what this image shows us, right? They can do nothing that will produce the fruits of the kingdom. His disciples must recognize in all of their zeal, in all of their talents and giftedness, even in all their goodness and their good intentions, that nothing happens in them apart from their connection to Jesus. And the same is true for us this morning. And maybe that's just good to be reminded of, right? right? Am, am I the engine that produces the love of God, right, for me? Or am I already connected to him and that he is then the life source that, life source that pours forth right, the fruit and the vitality of, of the works of God? Right? It's always the latter. Therefore, there must be a posture among his disciples, and I would say among us as well, of need and dependence. We can do nothing apart from him. So the image not only apply, implies this connection with Jesus, as we talked about, um, it tells us that his followers need him as well. So when we put all of this together, to abide in Christ then is to what? To continue on in this connection and this dependence. Right? It is the participle, if you want to use the grammar, of, of an action continuing on over and over. Connection, dependence, union, communion, rest, reflect. Beasley Murray says this, to remain in Jesus has a deeper significance than simply to continue to believe in him. And I think for, for me, I know especially, but maybe perhaps for you, that, that, that's, I need to hear that over and over again. That the Christian life is not simply about you believing and then going on with your life. It is about remaining in the vine because it implies relationship. He goes on to say, although it includes belief, it connotes continuing to live in association or in union with him. Again, abiding suggests an ongoing relationship for Jesus' disciples after he is gone. It is to know him and to pursue knowing him all the days of their life. I liken it to a marriage, right? It's one spouse saying to another, I know that we made vows to each other 15 years ago. <clears throat> and, and with those vows, right, we are officially married. There's a union there. But that doesn't mean we no longer need to continue saying I love you from time to time. Right? Or, or <clears throat> maybe a date night every once in a while. That'd be nice, right? And of course, at any time, the spouse can point back, like, I don't, you know, apart from how you feel, this is still true, and that's true. But abiding is continuing in that reality. <clears throat> I say to couples in premarital counseling, it is to look at your spouse, and it is to say, or your future spouse, I should say, part of what it means to be married is to never stop being curious about the other in such a way that though you will never exhaust the depths of each other's uniqueness and the way that God has created them, you are going to give it your best shot for as long or as many years as you have together. That's abiding. That's really the flavor here that Jesus is calling his disciples to when he calls them to abide as he prepares to leave them. Yes, we are on mission here. But that mission comes from, and it flows out of me, the true vine. You must depend on me. You must be connected to me. You must know me. So what does this look like before we move on? Right? It looks like what abiding would look like, as I just described in any relationship, which is obedience. 
And I don't know what that word sounds like to you this morning. For some, that's a very pleasant word. For others, it's not. But abiding looks like obedience as it does for any relationship. And in any relationship, there is both passive obedience, right? There's trusting the union, and there's active obedience, right? The communion with that person. And the same is true for our relationship with Jesus. Passive obedience looks like us trusting and resting in the promises of that relationship. Uh, For the Christian, it's God's promises to us that I will be with you that my, my life and my death are sufficient for you, that my grace is sufficient for you. It's trusting that, right? In any other relationship, or maybe a marriage, for example, there's a time to trust or rest in the vows or promises of that marriage, regardless of how you feel. Disciples must do the same. Verse 7, Jesus talks about letting the Word abide in his disciples, if you look at it. Then back in verse 3, Jesus tells them that they are already clean. What does that mean? Well, this is, you you got to remember, this is flowing to, this is, you know, this is all one meeting going back to 13. He has just washed their feet. He's had, in chapter 13, that foot washing ceremony. And what he means is that because, because they have his word, right, they are clean. That is, he means that if They know the way, the truth, and the life to salvation. That word resides in them. They they know um, how they are made clean. They know the acceptance that they have in Christ by their union with him, regardless of how they might feel at any given moment. This is their passive obedience as his followers to rest and be reminded and, and to trust that. As one pastor writes, to put it simply, abiding in Jesus doesn't require advancing beyond the gospel to something else. It just means keeping the words of Jesus in our hearts and minds so that they are renewing and reviving us, shaping and sanctifying us, filling and forming us. Again, this is our passive obedience. But second, there's also active obedience here and abiding that Jesus commands. And this is the communion side of that relationship that that is just as I made vows to be committed to you, I will continue to live out those vows in communion with you. In other words, we'll do stuff together from time to time. <clears throat> um, but it is to reflect what is objectively true in our union together. And the same is true with Christ and his followers. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is saying, when you obey me, when you love the things that I love, when you keep my commands, you abide in me. That's our active obedience, our active participation. Remember, it's not obey in order to have my salvation. It's not obey in order to have my love. It's you have my salvation, you have my love, right? Keep in step. Stay with me because this is a relationship. This isn't simply a transaction. And what is the chief way or command that we reflect the union we have with Christ as his followers? It's love. Which is why it is no surprise that Jesus says this in verse 10, and then he gives them his command in verse 12, what? That you love one another as I have loved you. And how do we love? We only love by the love that's been given to us in Christ. 
In other words, it's what flows from us by being connected to and dependent upon the true vine. See how that works? See what he's showing his disciples. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But the love that I command you, you can only do this if you're connected to me, which is to understand the grace of God, the beauties of God, of what he has done for you. And see, the disciples will get this after he dies and is resurrected. They'll see, oh, this is what he meant. (laughs) This is his love for us. This is his grace for us, that as we are connected to him, this is how we go and fulfill the mission of God's people to be a blessing to the nations, to love as he has loved us. Because when we do that, what happens? We reflect Jesus to the watching world. That's your mission. It comes out of you. And the only way that that happens is if you are connected to him. This is the nature of abiding and what it looks like. It is a passive and active obedience in the way that we commune or live out of our union with him. And so if obedience is is not a friendly word to you this morning, come back to that image of the vine. Come back to the obedience that we will come to later in the service of this table where you see Jesus both uh, actively living a life for you that you couldn't live and passively right, obe- obeying the Father to go to the cross to die for you. <laughs> that is the grace and love which pours out of him and into you that he wants you to go reflect to the watching world. He's not asking you to do something in order to maintain this relationship. It is what he has already done that fuels this relationship. That is the grace and the beauty of what it means to be a Christian. And Jesus simply just says, remain there. Stay in that. There's nothing better. Even at times as we need to be reminded of that and in different seasons for sure, but that is, that is the flavor here. Well, I don't know where I am in my notes. Let's move on. Next point, that's the nature. All right, that sounds good. We'll round that point out. We're already late. Let's get to this last point, the purpose of abiding. We've seen right, the object of our abiding, which is Jesus, and how he calls himself the true vine, that he is aligning himself as the true Israel where God's mission will flow through, and that as we are connected to him, right, we are on mission together right, to, to reflect that grace and mercy that comes out of us by being connected to him. And this gets to this last point, the purpose of abiding. And as you read throughout this text, you read over and over, right, the bearing of fruit. It's it's listed there at least eight times, um, the bearing of fruit. When you look at those first two verses, the vine dresser is doing everything, the pruning and the removing for what? For for, For that more fruit would be produced. All right, and so fruit bearing has two purposes from this text that I want you to see this morning. And then we'll be done. First, fruit, as we read, proves that we really are Christ's disciples. And I, I really see this as an act of, of, of a compassion uh, to his disciples as he's leaving. Because they, like, they've had the benefit of seeing him, right? He's not there. He's not going to be there anymore. And the Spirit's coming. How do I know he's there? By your fruit. By your fruit. Fruit proves that we really are Christ's disciples. And the reality of this is you can't fake this. A fruit, like an apple tree, either makes apples or it doesn't. There isn't this sort of, here's some fake apples and nobody's going to find out. Which also means 
this is the importance of community and something we're going to stress down the road as, as we're kind of coming out of COVID, coming back into it, out of it. I don't know where we are with it, but we certainly are in, in, in a culture that is very disconnected. And the way that, 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 that Jesus has designed his community is that you would know your fruit by others. You would know your fruit by others, that you would have people in your life that are able to look at you and say, hey, this is what I've seen in your life over the past six months or a year. Don't ask them, like, what have you seen in my life over the past 24 hours? Don't do that. Ask them, like, what have you seen in me over the past two years? You've been around me long enough. Is there anything growing? We don't self-diagnose. We must be in community. And one of the reasons this is true is because of the other reason uh, that we see here for fruit, and that its purpose is, it's not just to show us for disciples, but its purpose is to benefit others. When you go out into an orchard, right, and you pick an apple from an apple tree, is that apple for the tree? Have you ever seen a tree, like, grab an apple and eat it? That's for the kids. No. Right? Apples are for other, other things, birds, animals. Your fruit isn't about you. Although it indicates something internal, it is about something external going on in your life that is for somebody else. And so if we want to look at right, the fruit of the Spirit that, 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 that Paul talks about in Galatians, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, all of that, right? I don't bear that for me. I bear it for you. The Spirit bears it for you. Okay? <clears throat> Now, this is where this gets a little more intense. What benefit is the fruit that I bear if, if I remain away from you? If I go lock myself in my house, right? If I don't have communion with God's people. If I'm not out in the world, not of it, in it. Reflecting, again, what is ultimately flowing through me as I'm connected to the true vine Right? Fruit-bearing has this internal reality showing us we are Christ's disciples, but it also has the external reality that the world may know Christ, the true vine, as they benefit from the fruit of the Spirit that it is producing in the disciples. Fruit that both Christians and non-Christians benefit from. It is a common grace to all of us. And if I could stay here just a little bit more in this last point, just by way of application, chances are at different times in your life, as I know this is true for me, for me, if I could use the metaphor of musical volume, right? The musical volume of our discipleship or our following Christ, whatever term you want to use. And one of those areas tends to be louder than the other. I know there are times when I am so focused on me and how I am changing and growing that I don't really think about my neighbor or my roommate or my sibling that I'm living with. I'm more concerned with other things, things that I care about. Concerned about different things in the church, maybe, like what songs are we singing? What are the, what's the paint color on the walls? And are we teaching the right theology? All good things especially the paint color on the walls. But this can be my focus, and it can be, the volume there can be turned up so loud that I don't even notice my neighbor, that I'm not thinking about discipleship in a way that is bearing fruit for that other person. And so in one sense, I need to turn the volume down on, 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 on the internal aspect of discipleship, right? on the internal aspect of what the Spirit is doing in my life and how I am growing, and turn up the volume of loving my neighbor 
and, and, and the external uh, factor that that creates for those who are around me. At the same time, right, I can be so heavy-footed with evangelism and loving my neighbor, right, planning events, Bible studies, right, book reads, whatever, making this uh, sort of cool for other people to come into and completely neglect my own heart and what is being fed. There, there are some that would say all that matters is evangelism. Not true. It's wildly important, hugely, bigly. But it's not the only thing. Therefore, I need to turn the volume down on neighbor love and the volume up on caring for my own heart, that what is being fed, that what, what is it that I'm actually connected to? <laughs> We're all producing something. Why? Because we are all abiding in something. And I'm here trying, and, and the scriptures, right, the scriptures are singing, everything here is trying to say, is, it, is this more beautiful? than what it is that you are remaining in. We're all producing something. And as we think about those volumes, right, as disciples of Christ, as we think about where we're setting those, the question becomes for any Christian and for any church, whatever the volume is on either of those fruit-bearing realities, right, the internal and the external, is what it would look like to have the volume of both of those turned up. For one another in here, College Park, in the greater D.C. area? Isn't that what we want for this place, for this church? Why? Because that is beautiful. The fruit of being born in the lives of disciples, of loving one another as I have loved you, the, the, the fruit that, that houses all others in one sense. As we turn those up, right, as we both care about how we are connected to Jesus and being fed uh, from the true vine, but also, right, are, are, are aware of and out in the world where that fruit can be experienced, that people begin to interact with the beauties of Christ. Look at how they love one another. What, where does that come from? And I know for many of you, as I've talked to you, that is your experience. That's why you are here. You're in the church because you saw something beautiful. You saw the way somebody loved somebody, or maybe loved you. You saw the way somebody offered forgiveness to somebody. And maybe they forgave you. What you saw was the fruit of the vine, the true vine of Jesus Christ. We abide in the things that are beautiful to us, and Christians are ones who continue to see Christ as more beautiful and believable than anything else. And thus, they orient their lives to him. That's the continuing on. Let me just, where is he? Let me just get in front of him, because that's all I want. Look at one more thing with me before we leave. Verse 11, what is all this for? And Jesus just drops this note at the very end of verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is remarkable, right? All of this, right, Jesus says is for the disciples' joy, for for the follower of Jesus' joy. Even in Jesus' final hour with his disciples, right, as he prepares for the cross, this this is happening Within 24 hours, as he prepares for that, he is thinking about what? Them. And what's the joy? It's their union together. 
They're remaining together forever, which the cross accomplishes and promises at the same time, which is why the writer of Hebrews says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, the joy that sent him to the cross, why we take this table, was knowing this would get him you. Your joy is his joy. His joy is delivering you to the Father. Is that beautiful to you this morning? Or is it just kind of, uh, mm. Because if that is beautiful, <clears throat> Christ says, just sit there. Look at me. Look at me. Experience my joy. I go running from time to time in our neighborhood, and uh, this past week, having this text on my mind was uh, running up the street, and it was the sun was setting, so it was kind of dark where I was, and I was coming up on this hill, and I noticed this woman sitting in her yard, and the reason why it got my attention was because it was it was just the whole setup was awkward. She wasn't like sitting in the grass part of her yard or maybe on the sidewalk. Her chair had been moved into the, the landscaping portion of her yard. It was like she was sitting in the midst of her landscaping. And, and at first I thought, well, maybe somebody like left out some Halloween decorations. No offense to this, this person. It wasn't like that. It was just, I wasn't that close yet. I, I mean, maybe it was just sort of this, it just was so strange to see this. And... But now as I got closer, it's really somebody sitting there. And their back's kind of turned to me, so I can't see their face. I don't really know what's going, but I'm intrigued. But as I get to the top of the hill, I'm just sort of, I, I see it, right? I'm, I'm, I'm blasted as, by the sun as it's setting right, on the opposite side of her street. And as I crest that hill, right, I, I, be, I, I see it because there's this small space where the sun is setting and the sun is just making its way gloriously through all the buildings, all the trees, right? And as I turn back to see her, it, her face is just glowing with all the orange and reds and yellows of the setting sun. I finally got it. I was like, okay. And I remember thinking, this woman knows something about abiding. She knows something about abiding. She has moved herself to this strange location only to what? To bask in to rest, if you will, in the beauties of that setting sun. And though her actions, right, to get her there were important, right, she did it regardless of what it made her look like in order to sit and face the beauties of that setting sun. That is Christ's invitation to you this morning. Abide in me and I in you. Come and sit and remain in me, that my joy may be in you you may experience the fullness of the, of the beauties that are my grace and mercy for you. Let me pray for, for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your word to us. If we stop for too long to consider that the creator and sustainer of this universe is asking to continue to be in relationship with us, um, I, I don't know that we can fathom that. And so would you, by your spirit, help us to believe this, if that's where we are in this place? 
Maybe we're skeptical of this. But when we look at your cross and see that that is the reaffirmation of a spouse saying over and over and over, yes, this is true. Yes, I love you. Yes, I'm committed to you. Abide in me. If we're here and we've been in the church for a while, would you remind us of this, that we may, again, replace all the things that we find uh, beautiful to our hearts that we are resting in, that we may replace those with you, with Jesus. And would you do all this for your glory, we pray. Amen.